Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today we've got Ngozi and Abehi, they're cousins. Uh, they're also in business together. I just wonder what that is like based on the fact that I'm in business myself at the moment by myself because it's sometimes easier. Um, but they're founders of Aurora Wellness UK. And I'm really excited to have two people. This is quite new for me, but I'm excited because they both have such rich stories. Uh, and I'm just so curious about the adversity that you've been through and how you've gotten through it. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. Hi. Thanks so much for being here. Um, so just give us a little bit of context. What are you passionate about at the moment? What kind of lights you up? For me, and I'm saying this hand on heart honestly, I am so passionate about our business, Aurora Wellness. It's a, it's a mental health and well-being service for busy people. Uh, focusing predominantly on women, but um, it's it's something. It's the first time I can say in my in my life that my work or my career completely allies with who I am as a person. I used to just do a normal corporate nine to five. Well, let's be honest, eight till six job, <laughs> and um, and it had nothing to do with who I was or my personality or my passions. It had nothing to do with people. It was just. It was a job. It was a career I had it for uh, over a decade and a half, but it wasn't me. Now I can say that helping women, helping people to to find their own happiness, to find their own peace, um, is truly something I'm passionate about. It's something I would have done for free, and um, I always looked to do something that I would um, I would do for free, so I'd never have to work a day in my life. And that this is it. So Aurora is my passion. I love that definition, uh, you know, not having to work a day in your life because you would do it for free and I would. And I've always had a side hustle as on, alongside the business because I would do it for free. And then it's so lucky and great when it becomes, well, I don't want to say lucky, actually. It's hard work and effort that it creates, yeah, right? Absolutely. absolutely. What about you? Um, mine is, is similar in the sense that I said, you know, I've had a, a background in psychology for 15 years now. So it's always been, I went into it to um, help people understand people's emotions, help them through those, um, and of course my backstory will tell you why I ended up in psychology in the first place. But it, to me, I am in my pattern, I've always been in my pattern, just give or take whether or not it was a particular cohort of people I'm thinking, okay, I no longer have pattern for working with them. So for example, most of my career was around um, substance misuse and addiction. Uh, and I was helping people, but eventually it started to, I started to burn out around that same similar thing because, um, you know, the revolving door clients who come in and go and, and they're not quite sticking. So that part of it, um, I, I burned out dealing with that content. But I realized I still wanted to help people, so I started to help family members who were dealing with the fallout of it all. So that meant that I realized that I wanted to help family members who were still struggling through them. Some people have halted their career and their life because of someone else's addiction. So I find myself going into this other part of, of uh, people's stories that I have never thought about before. And so I bring myself to Aurora. Again, we're coming come home again yeah. to be able to support um, a different cohort of people. So the professional women, the women who are second-guessing um, their oh, selves or not looking after themselves properly because they think, oh, I have to choose between home and career and, and, and business and that. Um, and I'm and, and part of me just wanted to say, no, 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 you don't have nobody, and this is my personal ego, nobody or no woman or man for that matter should have to choose between doing something that's purposeful for them in their life, whether it's a career or whatever, 
on choosing having a family or not. I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think they can work together. The question now becomes this thing about trying to have it all. I don't think anybody had it all. Neither a woman nor a man ever had it all. So for me, by trying to get people to live their best life with what they have, and that's where the passion comes from for me. Mm-hmm. And it's better for our kids in the end anyway to see their parents, right, doing something they're passionate about, having some work ethic. Absolutely. Tech, it was something that I, I remember saying, I think about my mother. My mother um, um, was an architect before that. I want to talk about her in a bit. But one of the things I kept thinking, I really wish, when you're struggling with juggling four kids and a career as an architect in a male-dominated field, and one passionate about the STEM industry, is that I remember thinking, I, I really wish that she realized that she was the mother, the exact mother for us. Mm-hmm. So that you mm-hmm. needed to observe and witness in order to create your own sort of that. needed to see all of that. She was the exact, like, if I can get mum, or definitely mum, who was the one who carried his guilt a lot, to realize you are the exact mother that that child you have, or those children you have needed. If you deviate, they become a different child. Mm-hmm. So it's as so, simple as that. That's making me, I always learn something from these podcasts, right? And that's, I'm getting chills as you say that because um, I've had addiction issues. So I've been 10 years sober. So you're talking about that side of things. So obviously at the very beginning of my kid's life, it was, I wasn't the best parent. I wasn't the best person in their life. The last 10 years I've been repairing that. But just hearing that, even that has made me the person that they need in order to build the resilience that they need to be, to build their care. Like, Oh, it just feels like, oh, amazing, right? <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, and, and it gets rid of the guilt because it's just like, actually, we can all we can do is be in the moment. We, we chatted about that a little bit beforehand. It's like, how do you be in the moment with your kids um, mm-hmm. and, and show up as, as who you are in that moment? You know, yeah. you don't know what you don't know. That's all you can do. Um, yeah. whew, I'm, in, I'm inspired already. Uh, okay, so let's just jump right into the topic of adversity and the things that you have each faced in your life that have somehow built you or destroyed you or, or helped you crawl back up again, whatever that might be. And we'll just have to take it in, in turn. So I'm going to go to Ngozi first um, and just see, you know, what is the theme of adversity that you'd like to discuss in this podcast? And maybe, you know, how the hell did you get through it? Okay, I'll be honest. If I look back at my life, I've had a few significant trials in in the last 20 years. Um, I've had serious physical health issues. I mean, I could tell you a story about how I found myself um, paralyzed and um, wheelchair-bound with unknown diagnosis, how I found myself... Um, the following year um, with memory loss and consciousness loss and all sorts of things that I've had to really, really battle back from. So adversity to me is something that I'm quite familiar with and having to, it's, it's been something that uh, has really made me grow up um, and face what it means for me to be alive. And what's important to me, and, and, you know, I've had a lot of struggles like that, but recently it, it came again with um, mental health. Mm. So the, tr- the struggles that I had previously were all uh, physical and serious physical health 
issues um, that I had to battle to overcome and they, they brought with them their own mental health issues but you know it was it was mostly a physical battle hmm. and I always thought of myself as the um, mentally strong and resilient type. I'm the glass half full, I forced myself to be glass half full. Yeah. I'm the person that my friends come to when they're a bit down, when they're needing help, when they need support and to be cheered up. That's me. Yeah, that is so I am the last person that expected to be depressed. So much so that I was depressed, I'm sure, for a, a, a before I was even vaguely aware of it. I, I, I didn't realise that these thoughts and these um, the physical symptoms even of lack of sleep, of um, suicidal ideations, all of those, I didn't even know that they were wrong. I just thought that was what adulting was. I thought that's what it is to be an adult. It's just life isn't perfect. Butter up, um, you know, make yourself stronger, buttercup. That's it. You, you just This is what it is to be a grown-up and, and have bills to pay and, and a life and all of that. Do you, feel, do you feel like because of that mindset that you kept it all to yourself and definitely. right and like didn't want to show weakness or, or ask for help or I don't know what were your habits around that but we, well this is the thing I definitely didn't want to show weakness or ask for help and that's odd because I would always be the first to tell someone else to come to me for help well of course, well, of course. we never take but, our own advice right yeah yeah but to me, I, I didn't think I, I needed help. Of course. I didn't think there was any help that could be offered to me because as far as I was concerned, as I said, this was just life. Life sucks. You get up, you get the kids ready for school, you go to work, you consider throwing yourself in front of passing traffic to end it all. You don't. You get to work. <laughs> you do the job. You consider several times about what would happen if I just ran away. You don't. You pick up the kids from school and then you, you just carry on. I just thought that who can help you with that? That's not. That's not anything. That's not a problem. That's just being a grown up. And um, it really took a very long time before I realised that isn't that isn't being a grown up. That isn't normal life. That isn't healthy life no. and you don't have to be stuck in it so um i mean to me shame around it as well especially yeah. if on the outside you've got healthy children or you've got a great job and you've got a loving husband or you've got a car and a house, you know all that stuff um exactly. people look on that bit and you're like well who am i to complain right. or to feel this way i better shut that down right so that nobody knows that I'm an ungrateful whatever, right? When that's not what's going Absolutely. on at all. Absolutely. And, and for me, there was a lot of fear because it was my depression was all brought on by work-related stress and anxiety that spilled into every single area of my life. It started off just being about my career. Sure. And it ended up being about me, that I am not worthy that I'm taking up oxygen, I don't need to be around, that actually, if I was really brave, I'd kill myself, so at least my kids and my family would get the insurance money, that would be the brave thing to do, you know, it, it, it started off in one small area and became so much bigger, but it happens so gradually that you don't notice it, it's the frog in the pan of boiling water, Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Don't notice, and then you suddenly realise that you're overwhelmed and you're drowning. Um, but there was so much fear for me about telling people, just in case. Two things. First of all, I was afraid that people wouldn't believe the things that were happening in my head. That they'd say, "No, what are you talking about? You've got a great life. Yeah. Your husband loves you. Yeah. yeah. Also, your friends think you're great. You're fantastic at what you do." Yeah. Um, or they'd all say, oh my gosh, she finally realized, you're right, you are ugly, you are stupid, we were just waiting for you to figure it out. And both scenarios are untenable. <laughs> so I was afraid that people would either not believe me or believe me too much. And I, it never occurred to me that there was a third option where people would say, oh my gosh, no, no, that is not what we're thinking at all. Yeah. And we can help. That doesn't occur to you of course not. at this time. So, so this was a real, real challenge. And I say it was only in the last couple of years and it took everything that I had to recognize that um, I am more than just my thoughts, the negative thoughts that I'm having. I am more than just my own opinion of myself and that I do deserve to have a future and to dream and to believe in myself and to love myself. That has mm. been the single biggest challenge I've had to face in my adult life. Mm. Yeah. That's, yes. I'm drawn right into that just because I experienced such severe postnatal depression and the mindset around that people, people on the outside don't necessarily understand this. Like, you've got beautiful children, they need you. The mindset mm. that we actually tell ourselves they'll be better off if yes. we're not there. I mean, it just brings back the emotion for me. It's, it's, it's so intense. Um, so let me go to uh, Obehi and, and just ask you a little bit about your context. And then we'll, um, we'll, we'll kind of have a discussion together then to think, how the hell did we get through this? And what do we think about this topic of resilience and what it's given us or not given us now as, as sort of adults in, in sort of, I don't want to say later life. I'm talking about myself. Later adulthood. <laughs> as, as ladies. Um, so, so give us a little bit of, of your context around that theme of adversity. Yeah, and well, for me, adversity, I would saw it as something that you grow into. I think you're not, not born with it. You just suck it up um, as life comes at you. And you learn tricks and skills to be able to navigate children. So, I mean, for me, um, I like to think, I, I grew up in Nigeria, Lagos, Nigeria, up until when I was 19 when I came here. So, um, I, you know, middle-class uh, home, my parents were both architects, um, and I thought that it's a typical Nigerian home, you're either going to be a doctor, an engineer, or some sort of lawyer. You know, my father was a baby lawyer then, which is funny, because my grandfather was a lawyer. That was a bit of a joke, inside joke. But I was pretty much happy as a, as a child growing up there. Um, you know, the normal teenage angst that you get, so it's all pretty normal. Until um, we were in a car accident. So my mother, my younger brother, my dad, and a, a, a driver who was driving a car. And we were all fine, except for my mother who died in that accident, and we were in the car. So that, that I say, I would, yeah, I would have been... 19, yeah. Mm. That is something that I'd like to think it did break me because I think it, uh, to say that it didn't would be disingenuous in the whole thing. It did break me because I remember thinking, this can't be happening. 
nobody, a 19-year-old doesn't lose their mother. That's what I thought. The 19-year-old don't lose their mum. You lose their mum when they're like 70 or something. So it didn't compute for me. And in such a shocking, was, fast way, you know, so, so, one day to the next, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was their first child, so, you know, I had two, three other siblings who, you know, my last, my youngest sister is five years younger, so it, it going back to let them know that actually, yeah, um, why are you back so soon? Yeah, you know, and this happened. So that was a very hard thing for me. But I had already planned, we had planned that I'm going to come to the UK to study, so that was part of the plan. My father decided we were going to stick to the plan in August, so this, he died in uh, June. And we were going to come up to London for June and settle into the weather and the rest of it. We obviously came on holiday, but never lived here or studied here. So the idea was to acclimatize to the, to the cold weather kind of thing. So but we stopped just, that. It sounds like it was just business as usual on the outside. Business. And that is it. So my father um, also, I like to think, was pretty resilient. That's how this is just, this, we're going to have to go through it. Just keep moving um, forward. So I came here in August, so two, two months late than the schedule. But I started school. Yeah, started yeah. <laughs> That was the plan. And I remember thinking that what was going to affect me was that I wasn't going to do well academically. That was the only thing I worried about. Like saying, I'm going to have, I cannot fail. Now I'm paying international school fees, which was like six grand at the time. I'm thinking, I cannot waste my parents' money. And I'm not thinking I can't let my mother down. Right. There was all these things that was going Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I started to say, okay, right, I'm going to have to study, I'm going to have to do everything better. And, um, and that was a really tough time. My siblings were back in Lagos, so I still had to have contact. And that was before mobile phones properly, so it was a bit harder. Yeah. Sending me everything fine. Um, anyway, but the point is, I graduated I, I with a second class upper, 2 1. Um, which I was quite surprised by. Um, did you, did uh, you use your studies in a way to avoid some of maybe the pain that was actually going on underneath? I, I think that every time I found myself thinking, okay, um, I because mean, I met my mom every day, that was not even a question, but it was every time I thought, oh, this is it's like it's shit. <laughs> I would, pardon my friend, sorry who don't watch it, but I would just say, okay, that's not, there are other things to worry about. Um, and this is your way of not quite making up for it, because that's not, that's not the word. But there was some part of me that felt like, if I did this, I'd do well, and they will make it okay. That would justify her dying, basically. So I put big pressure on myself to make sure that I I know, yeah. So I did do it, came out of it. I um, went to work, and I uh, ended up doing a, a master's again. But it didn't occur to me that I... Even on one hand, I knew I could work hard. So that part was the lesson. I could work hard. I can ride through pain. I can... And I was still a happy person. I was still sociable. I made friends. I'm extroverted. So I'm Not an extroverted guy, but I am extroverted. So there are levels so, of extroversion. <laughs> yeah, there are like definitely degrees of it. Which is, I'm more introverted than you. <laughs> <laughs> but so on the um, outside, everything looked cool. Yeah, everything looked okay. And I, I felt internally that I was okay. That I thought that, that, was, that was the only part I thought would affect me. It didn't occur to me that it would affect me in my relationship with 
not necessarily friends, that's fine, but relationship with men mm-hmm. and people, people close, because I thought, I'm going to lose them. So, I, yeah. so that one is another story for another day. But the point is, the resilient, it's fine when it's in one area, but then you don't, it, it doesn't cut across every area of your life. So that word resilient is great in a particular context. So in the context of working or, or raising your children or making sure that you wake up on time or making sure that you can go through that particular pain or that operation, it all context. They don't necessarily translate into all parts of your life. They help you, but not particularly. I wouldn't say that it's the ultimate thing that you have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can be resilient in how you push forward in life and how you make yourself succeed, Absolutely. but Absolutely. there will often be subtle, you know, results of these experiences for all of us yes. um, yeah, within absolutely. our relationships. With I mean, I get that one so much. Yes. Yeah. So definitely, for sure. I think for me, well, because we're we're only human, and we're none of us are perfect, and none of us, even Superman had a weakness. Yeah. I mean, there, there's always got to be one area where we're not as strong as the others. So yeah. you can be resilient in certain areas. You can face, like I said, I was very um, experienced at facing um, the external battle of, you know, a disease has come to attack me. I can face that. I can challenge that. Yeah. I can see that one. Yeah. But when it was my my thoughts are attacking me, yeah. I, yeah. Was, I was not resilient. I was virtually an open door. Come in, negative thoughts. Yeah. Come in. Make yeah. yourself at home. Have a cup of tea. So, yeah, yeah you, you can be resilient in one area and not necessarily mm-hmm. even know that it needs to translate to other areas. And interesting, it's, the external versus the internal. So, yeah. right? So we can power through and show people and even look after other people. Ask them yeah. how they are. Do all that stuff. Yeah. It's a great yeah. way of avoiding the, the internal you know, uh, voices, doubts, uh, thoughts, negative thinking, yeah. just scary shit, right? There's so much scary stuff that goes internal. Yeah, um, also, the, I, I feel like once you, you uh, uh, okay, yeah, I can survive that. It gives you the idea that you can survive other things, which is great. That's, the, that's what resilience does for you. That if you can do one, you can do the other. It comes evidence collecting, isn't it? So, that means I can face other things. Mm-hmm. And I think that gave me the impression that I could face another. It's funny, I didn't think, when I started counselling eventually, uh, I realised that could, could, I think everybody should go to counselling. I think it's really useful, you get to know about yourself a lot more. Definitely agree with um, that. that. It never occurred to me that, because I was resilient in one area, that I could transfer some of those skills. I thought they were separated. So um, when we went in, before we started the interview, but I had three with family agreements. So my mother had died, and I rode through that. And then years later, my brother died. And um, again, that one definitely broke me, because I was not expecting my brother to die. I didn't expect my parents to die, because that's what it is, the nature of law is to get that, sure. but not my sure. brother. So that one particularly broke me. But I, I stayed, I helped my father sort you know, things out and everything else that comes with that. So you're saying it broke you so, internally? Internally. But then that's when I thought, oh my God, I thought I could do this thing. Uh, I thought that. And it's so funny to think, why would I think that losing my mother would teach me how to lose my brother? Of course not. They're not the same story at all for yeah. someone with mm-hmm. Um But I learned something different about this one, that I'm not as tough as I thought. Um, and and it's okay not to be tough all the time. 
and you know, because I, I like all the placages, the family members would give me, including my cousin. And she was such a strong girl, you're such a so good, you're so this. And I, and I locked it up because we were brilliant, because that suggested, okay, I am tough, so I can do some stuff. And this happened, and I thought, I'm not tough at all. I don't even want to be tough. So nobody yeah. says to you, it's okay to fall apart, either. It's okay to fall apart. Nobody says that. And I think yeah. it sometimes goes beyond that. Mm. Like, now, I've been through my experience, and I've got more understanding of mental health issues. I actually think you have to fall apart in order to build yourself back uh-huh. up. So now, I, think I encourage people who are in the midst of painful things, no matter what they are, to be honest about that pain and not necessarily... Ba- now, it's different if you need to be strong for someone else, okay? It's different if you're needing to be strong for someone else, but if you're the person who's at the epicenter of this this storm, yeah, you do need to be completely honest and let the emotions come and take over, because if you don't, you're just storing up trouble for another time. Absolutely. So this brings up the idea that a rock bottom of some description can actually be useful. Yeah, for the purpose that you cannot learn a new lesson unless you now know what you're trying to learn. So how do you learn a lesson if you're not in class? You don't. So you need to... What if you could learn it 10 steps before? What if you could could learn it 10 steps before? So before... So that's true. That's why we learn from other people's mistakes, right? Mm. But I think, there's some, I think there's something in life that nobody can prepare you for. Nobody can prepare you to have a baby. I don't want to have a baby. I've never had one. I know I know everything. We know. Yeah, there we go. I yeah. don't think in any way you would tell me or let me no, say, no, I'm no. talking fine. I read all the books. No. Yeah, that's true. No. That's yeah. And also something with bereavement as well. There's no way yeah. I can say I've had a bereavement, therefore yeah. I know how yeah. you can deal with it. No, all yeah. different stuff. But you might need to relate to the... All of a sudden, I can't, oh, I, I, I'm doing something, I don't remember what I was doing after that. Yeah, you can relate to that. But the actual pain is all individual and stuff. So I think mm-hmm. that to answer that question, yeah. I don't think there's something that you can't teach other people to, but you can find a thing within them so that you work out. Remember that time when you dealt with that exam that you failed? Yeah, you remember what that felt like. So you can take them to the emotion of what they're feeling, but not the story, just the emotion. It's okay, remember how long it took you to get over that part. And then you now know what you did to make yourself feel better. Now, that can be the kind of thing you teach. You go, okay, so when it does happen to me, I do know there are things that I do enjoy doing still. I do know that they're less, I do know the emotion is the same. They're not new emotions. They're all the same set of emotions anyway. Mm-hmm. So how do I understand where I am? So the rock bottom, and I know that we use that a lot in addiction, but the rock yeah. bottom, yeah. everybody deserves one rock bottom in their life. At Otherwise, least. at least. But it deserves. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. The other side of the resilience coin is vulnerability. Yeah. So, and I don't think they are mutually exclusive. I think vulnerability can help you to build resilience. Yeah. So you need to, um, you need to go, it's like with our bodies, when we go to the gym Mm. and we are building our muscles, we actually tear the muscles down and then they grow back stronger. Yeah. yeah, and that's the vulnerability aspect is you allow yourself to feel all the feelings that you have as honestly and openly as you have them so that you can then move on from there. Yeah. And so it's changing our perspective on when these things come so that we know that there is some kind of purpose. I know it sounds so counterintuitive when it's losing someone close to you or when your brain is telling you to end your life, you know, 
it feels yeah. counterintuitive, but there is something there. Um, Obehi, you said you had a third bereavement as well? Yeah, um, my father died uh, three years ago. Mm. Three years? Yeah, so just two years after my brother. I, I think he struggled with that anyway, but the point is, yeah, so that one, for some reason, that one didn't break me as much. Funny. It was hard, but for some reason, I was able to activate all those lessons from the other two. Interesting. Like, I knew exactly what to do. I knew, well, I knew where to buy a coffin. I knew that part now. Yeah. Um, You've gone through the yeah. stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. Terrible. It's not a that, but yeah. you just, your brain just kicks in to technically, like, it's like project manager now, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, and my dad was ill, so he, well, he didn't die suddenly, but he was ill, so we knew that that was going to happen. It just didn't happen, you know, expected to happen as quickly as it did. And again, I was pregnant for this one. So, in a way, the part of me to think I want. I'm lucky I was pregnant for the death. I suppose if I wasn't, and then it'd be what happened there and what the story needs to fill in. Some people would say, I, I wish I didn't see that, but to me, I feel great that I did. So for me, it's about learning how do you use lessons from others, other situations, other difficulties, to write a new lesson. Because there are new challenges um with family members and people disagreeing there's always a case of idea and family who would argue about stuff we shouldn't be arguing about um but i've been able to deal with it i was also um female i was their first child but i was also female so i had to deal with this patriarchal nonsense um and it's not in every culture in Nigeria, just the culture that decide to activate those <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah there's a few of them out there yes <laughs> um but i was Steady. Um, and in Gaudi's um, dad, who my um, uncle, my mother's brother, said, if you're going to have to, you can't cry, you haven't got time for that. <laughs> you haven't got time for that. Luckily, I wasn't crying or anything, but I think the whole idea, just in case you think you're going to lose it, you can't afford This is not the one you do this for. Um, so you're going to have to get ready. You are now the person of the household. Wow. And you're, you know, so you're going to have, and we cannot protect you from that. Um, culturally, we can't. Yeah. So I, I I have to be Step still, up. steady, emotion. I dealt with my emotion in the house with my sister who was with me, but when I had to face this crowd of people and these people who thought they they could intimidate me, I realized, oh, I get it. Oh, you don't know I've done this before. Is that what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, this is nothing. Yeah. This is, you know. So being able to make decisions clearly, ordered, consistently meant that eventually we just had to just, oh, okay, so we'll just, we'll just do that then. Yeah, that's what I said. So being a female and being a very assertive female, I learned how to be because of those adversity. I, 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 I truly did. I, I truly you have, believe you what it helped me. You hinted at burnout, though, and I'm wondering if there's like a culmination of all of these things of being strong on the outside, being strong on the outside, that some, at some point it falls apart. Absolutely. And it did fall apart. Not definitely after my brother, my dad won that one. In fact, I, I would tell you about that. The one for after my brother, I came home, I came back to the UK. I was, I was in Nigeria for about two months during that period. So I had a, like, a long sabbatical, came back to work, you know, not quite willing to go, but you know, I do it kind of thing. Um, and I don't remember what particular, this particular day, there was nothing special about that day. No more schedule, no more clients I had. I ended up in the bathroom and I locked myself in and I wouldn't come out. 
Um, and I realized I couldn't, I started to cry. I just, I couldn't tell you what to get off. And I had a colleague come to, I open opened the door now. And I, and, and I could, I could feel them panicking. I'm thinking, oh God, now I'm the girl who locked himself in the car. <laughs> 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 I work! <laughs> we what shame is that? <laughs> yeah, um, but it always. But I realized, okay, you are breaking down. You, you can't just be, resi- you can't be resilient your way out of this one. No. So rock bottom big, you're gonna have to deal with this pain. So and go through it. And go through it. So I read through the EAP program that our organization had, um, and then I called my sister who was in Nigeria and I said, Yeah, we need to do we need to disappear. And she went, Where do you want to go? So we went to Dubai. <laughs> nice. So you just had to get okay, let me pause you let me pause you there. Um, yeah. I've gotten like the context of, of both of some of your adversities. I feel like there's stories that we could go into, yeah. right? But I just want to go back to Ngozi and, and, and go back to thinking now within your rock bottoms, however they looked, however stark they got, what were the first steps? Like what was the, we love the stories that are like, oh, this was rock bottom. And now I'm a successful entrepreneur and everything's great, right? And I'm yeah. curious about the middle bit. Like, how the yeah. fuck do you ask for help? How do you admit to yourself? Like, what do you do in the middle to just slowly, because it's a slow, hard process, okay. right? What was well, that like? So, I, as I said, I was the frog in the pot. So I didn't realize I was skating along quite merrily on that thin ice. Mm. I realized I'd hit rock bottom. I could tell things were a bit iffy. Um, for a while, but I realized I hit rock bottom when um, I was sitting in the departure lounge um, for to catch a flight to our head office in Leatherhead from Manchester, and I was in the uh, business class lounge with BA, lovely, making a cup of tea, yeah. having some toast, sitting there listening to music on my iPhone, and trying not to cry because I knew I was going to go to the office and I was back at work and I that was the thing that made me think well, you're in this place with nothing bad has happened yeah. Yeah. the only reason you're trying not to cry is because you don't want to be here and I knew that was wrong that was wrong if I was trying not to cry whilst making coffee at the airport mm-hmm. then then that's not healthy. Yeah. So I texted my husband and told him, told him that I'm sitting here struggling, really struggling not to cry. Um, I can't do this anymore. I need to get out. And he's a um, he's a recruitment manager, right? So he was like, "Don't worry, sweetheart. We will we'll have you out of there by Christmas. You won't be there by Christmas." So this was October. You won't be there by Christmas. We'll we'll get our exit plan together. Don't worry. And I thought, okay, yeah, right. We're we're on the plan. So I, I got on the plane and I was like, that's okay because you know I've only got a few more months. And I sat there and I was seated in row four B. And and normally four B is okay, but it was a morning flight, so there was four A and four C. And I thought it's okay because we're going to get there in forty minutes. And they took off and. I was listening to some more music and I just started sobbing Mm -hmm. and I couldn't stop sobbing much to the chagrin of the people either side of me on the very packed flight. Um, and I, and I thought this just isn't, this isn't right. I'm, I'm actually terrified and so trapped Mm -hmm. in where I am and what I'm doing that I, I can't keep it together. I've got to get my shit together. So anyway, uh, I went to the meeting 
tidied up my mascara in the bathrooms at Heathrow, got in the taxi, taxi driver, okay, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, great, great. Go to the meeting, how are you? I'm fine, great. Had a whole meeting, which ironically was all about um, our home office employees, of which I was one, and um, how can we ensure that they're working safely? How can we protect them and make sure they're working safely? And I was spending the entire meeting saying, look, we've got all these systems in place, these policies, procedures, equipment to make sure people are working safely, physically. Who's checking their mental health and well-being? But, Petra, I wasn't talking about myself. Of course I was talking about other people. <laughs> but can I other people you, so. because that's the work that I do, is how much more powerful would that have been if you got real in that moment? as a manager. I know you weren't ready to, you couldn't have, you couldn't have. It's not even that. I didn't recognize that I had a mental health issue. What I had was a job issue. Oh, of course. Uh, so I was talking about other people that I know who have mental right. health issues. Not that work. that you would go to work. Yeah, yeah. Jump you have to their pajamas. But Petra, I got up every day, I washed myself, put on work <laughs> clothes to sit down and work. So I had no mental health issues. Of yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, I really wasn't, I was that blinded by my own situation that I didn't realize that I was a, I was chronically depressed. I didn't know it. Is it fair to uh, say, just culturally, not only culturally, but it could be culturally, that there wasn't much discussion or conversation or education about mental no. health at home? It was very much no. like, get on. None. None at home, none at work. Yeah. None. There yeah. was just none. Yeah. Unless the person looked depressed. When we use the word depressed with a small d, you know, I feel a bit depressed today. Well, why? Well, I've got to pay the car tax and I haven't got enough money to go out. You know, we use the no small way. letter depressed. I feel depressed. But I, I'd never, yeah, I had never really had much experience with depression. I had a friend who had it. Yeah. Um, but personally, I had only ever encountered teenage depression. Um, so no, there wasn't much discussion about it at the yeah. time. There wasn't that much, um, so or at least I wasn't aware of it. What began the process to get you through it? Yeah, mm. but I was very lucky in that when I came back from that meeting, um, my mother-in-law, who is um, a wonderful woman, who's had a lot of experience. Well, she, she's a midwife, she's a senior health officer, so she, she's had a lot of experience supporting people. She knew about my breakdown at the airport and um, was asking me, she just asked me, so how's your meeting, dear? And I immediately went into self-defense of, I don't want to talk about it, it was fine. And like a scab that needs to be picked off, she kept picking at it until I ended up having a full-blown nervous breakdown in the kitchen in front of my mum and my husband who that I've been depressed for a while even though I still didn't believe them and insisted that I go see the doctor the next day and so my husband took the morning off work got an emergency appointment for me to see the GP and he took me there and I'm not kidding he had to sit in the waiting room holding my hand because every single second I was looking at the, the door thinking, I, I might be able to make a run for it. Because I truly believed, what's the GP going to say? I thought the G GP would say something like, chin up, buttercup, this is adulting, just get on with it. Right. I didn't think I was depressed. I didn't think my situation was worthy of, yeah. of a medical attention at all. Um, so I just wanted to run away. 
And when the GP did um, come eventually see us, she was the most wonderful woman, and she she was typing her notes up from her last patient. Just one second, I'll be one second. <laughs> right. And it's just, so, how, how can I help you? And my words to her were, I've got nothing to say to you, doctor. He's making me be here. And I literally physically turned my back to her. That's how resistant I was wow. to... to even admitting that I had a problem, never mind seeking help. But also so, how important it is to have a support network or a friend or yeah, someone to support you. Absolutely crucial. Too many people try and fix this themselves. All you're doing is putting a, a little Band-Aid over a gaping wound which requires surgery. Absolutely. You, you can't really do it on your own. Nobody can. It takes a village. It takes everybody. And even when you're, and I say, I went through two years of counseling, I still receive regular counseling, so I agree, counseling is mm. critical. Mm. Medication, um, whatever works for you, whether it be neuro-linguistic programming, whether it's coaching, whether it's counseling, whether it's other kinds of physical therapy, whatever it is, you have to do that. You need an outlet. But you also need, yeah, you also need other people in your life your your key support group, whether it be yeah. your spouse or your partner or uh, your parents or your siblings or your right. friends or your colleagues. Your tribe. Your tribe, exactly. And as many people as possible to be there to say, right, we, we've been with you through this process. We're, through, we're with you through the other side. And they are the people who I will trust to say, by the way, you, things aren't right. You know, you've been... You've, been a bit unbalanced recently because yeah. you because I now know that I'm not good at, at self-diagnosing and and I can't recognize the signals in myself as clearly as other people can so I, I make sure that there are people who are in place to say yeah I think you need to go and see a doctor again or when was the last time you spoke to your counselor I think that's critical. Yeah. What are some of the maybe routines and habits that you try, not perfectly because we're human, but to put in place now to, to maybe ensure that you don't get to that edge anymore? First of all, you, you do work that you enjoy, I think. <laughs> that helps. That's, that's, a, that's a very, very important yeah. one. Yeah. Do work that I enjoy. One, know that there's no shame in talking. So I talk openly about it yeah. to everybody. Lovely. And anybody. I at first I when even after I was diagnosed with depression, I was really ashamed to talk to people about it because of those two fears of what if they first of all say, Oh well you should be depressed, you are an absolute screw up or No, you're not depressed, you're too smiley. Um, uh, but but the when I first got over that hurdle, the number of people who said to me, Oh really? Me too, which ones are you on? Right. Um, oh yeah, my cousin. My cousin suffered with a mental breakdown last year. Yeah, she's getting through it as well. I was for well, at first comforted and then horrified by the number of people who were going through mental health issues, and that's part of the reason. That is the reason, in fact, why we started Aurora. But yeah, so making sure I'm openly talking to people about my situation means that those internal voices, the you know, they lose their power, I, right? Yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I've named my negative voice. Yeah. I've named that critic. My This is something my counsellor decided that I'd do because I, I spent a lot of time thinking, well, 
whose voice is it? Is it is it me? Is it the devil? Is it is it is it what is it? What is that? And she said, Well, who cares? It doesn't matter. It's not right. Why don't you give it a name? Give it a name that that so you can call that voice out. Give it a name, the most ridiculous name that you can think of. I told my husband this and he came up with one word. No offense to anybody who is a Republican, but my voice is called Donald. <laughs> Shut up, Donald. Shut up, Donald. Okay, I like it because you separate it then from your self-worth and who you are. Exactly. It is just an external voice now and I just tell Donald, shut the hell up. Yeah. He does. I I just don't hear Donald half as much now I've done that. So that's another thing, to externalize the negative. It's not me, it's something else. And it's something any of us could experience. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the other thing is to um, to uh, to make sure I have regular check-ins with someone I trust, so my counsellor, to just talk through things, even if things are good, right. even when things seem they're on an even keel, that's just really keep those point. appointments. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. For me, yeah, what did you do? Yeah, because yeah. I... I I think for me, it's about spending time with myself. I need to have time for myself. So I, I like, I'm a spa junkie, is what I describe myself. I like a nice bar. And I'm not necessarily trying to enjoy the, you know, the, the sauna and the massage, because that's great. But it allowed me, because I'm an extrovert, so I will talk to people. But it allowed me to not have to distract myself by talking to other people. It means that I can hear my own inner dialogue. Yeah, uh, really and nice. I can speak about oh I had this idea but I was afraid of going through the idea because I think I don't going to like that so it allowed me to start to think of what do I want what do I need um, who have I spoken to who do I you know what pain am I carrying that I have sort of sort of um, know with being busy for example so that's usually my way out of doing that and I, I mentioned travelling I do travel because I think when you travel you get different perspective you see how other people live so when we talk about adversity yeah. That turn, how other people survive their stories, um, and that makes you think, oh, okay, it's not necessarily, oh, they can do it, so I can I. It just means they're just as human as me. Mm-hmm. Therefore, whatever they have, I also have, it just, how do I tap into those? Yeah. And you tap into those by asking, by talking, asking people, how do we do that? That looks like such a hard thing to do, and you realize, because we always say that, on the surface, we see people with their polished look, looking like things don't happen to them. But when you ask questions, then they show you. They never, I don't have a lot of people who you ask and they try and hide it from you or try to still pretend. Mm. I think we're living in the age where people are okay to admit that things aren't as perfect. So it's learning those things. And that makes you feel, oh, so if you went through that, I feel better. And then you realize there's nothing to change. Your situation hasn't changed, but knowing that someone else is in the same situation as you has somehow shifted your mindset. But also being brave not- enough to go beneath the surface. Because everyone likes to the surface, how, what's the weather like conversation. But it's, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. as soon as you go below, you realize that, oh, other people are struggling. Other people are dealing with but, adversity. And that's okay. That makes, so I, I think that that's what I feel like I, I, I do. That helped me get perspective. Um, and you I did think some counseling you know, as well. Right? Right? Sorry, you did, some, you did some counseling as well, like bereavement. Yeah. Yeah, I told counselor, I told counselor about like two years. And I was crazy. When I went to her, I said, oh, I'm only going to be here for 12 weeks. I just need to make sure that I'm not hiding stuff. Because after dad died, because I was worried that 
I would I would hide in things because I kept thinking we were you're coping a little too well. You know that whole idea. In fact, I was almost enjoying the power from being yeah. <laughs> I thought, okay, this is gonna fall off at some point. So yeah. I saw the capital eventually for two years. And one of the lessons that I learned about all of that in the end was I was always afraid that I would no longer the old Obi, that I would now this new slightly broken it's it, it's the piece. It's been different. Um, I, I'm too sociable, I'm too lazy to do that, but the part of me that left the shine, that's how I felt, like, I'd lost some sort of shine, and like this shine has been coming off me for years, mm. um, and in terms of, you know, being in a relationship with people, a romantic relationship, because we're going to want this new OB, this one that, you know, I'm not quite the other one, um, and I realized, actually, this new one is brilliant, I just needed to just get used to her, it's like wearing a new skin, I suppose. Um, and I needed to understand how this new OB operated, how she felt, the kind of thing that upset her. Why is that thing making me sad? Why am I crying about that movie? I didn't used to. And then you're like, because I'm just evolving, I'm just a different, yeah. I'm the same person, just different. You're not supposed to be the same person you all were. And that was the lesson I had to learn internally and in here as well. And how do you, this is just my curiosity because it's something I experience as well. How have you managed the, the relationship thing in the sense where you get close to people, whatever, uh, whether it's romantic or not, and in the back of your mind, you're going, I'm going to lose you. So let me not invest too much. Or I don't know how it played out and how, is it an ongoing struggle or what do you do there? It's something I have to, uh, I think I'm happy probably put special attention to yeah. now. Because for what it was, I was going to lose them to the new point. Therefore, I almost, I had to pick people who were not available yeah. because then I can see them fast enough. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I did learn during that counting period, my counter said, you really think after those three days, anything would be as painful as that? And I thought, okay, you're right. It would be as painful. But it doesn't mean I still want to get involved in the pain. Yeah. I don't want to feel it. No. Um, but on that hand, you maybe think, oh, okay, so that means that even they didn't have to die. That was the thing. The people don't have to die for me to feel the sense of loss. Mm-hmm. They only have to just be missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One there for me for this to just create a whole big hole again. Yes. Um, I feel that's what I worried about. They're going to end up with a hole, and what's going to happen, and how do I feel it? And I forgot that actually you've been dealing with your hole for so long time now. You've been you're okay. It just you've attached this special attention to this particular, because then, you know, people want to find your life partners and, and stuff like that, and for what it means. I mean, and one of the top uh, stress factors is losing a spouse. It's top the table. Mm. Or losing a, a parent. Or, so, so I know, it, it, to me, it feels like the ultimate pain. And yeah, people go through this every single day. People lose their spouse every single day, and they survive it. So I figured if it's about that, then I suppose I'll survive it. But it's getting my head to switch to that level. So it's a whole topic for another day, Petra. Of course, no, I know. We, well, let's just hang out some, <laughs> at some point and talk yeah. about that one. Um, but it's this balance on both sides around vulnerability. So showing mm-hmm. up anyway, even though you've had pain. Somebody asked me what my worst fear was, because those are the ki- kinds of friends I have, right? Let's go there. <laughs> um, and I said, uh, insanity. Like, because I feel like I was so close to the brink of it when my children were young that my biggest fear is literally losing my mind and what and whatever that sort of leads to. Um, and the way that can play out is working too much, like working to the point of almost trying to prove my worth in the world still, mm-hmm. even though I know that I'm worthy and that I have purpose and all the rest of it. But I've got to check these things as far as uh, what do I put in place to look after myself. And, of course, I moved, I moved probably 
every year of my life, my entire life. I moved country every two to three years. So the amount of saying goodbye to, to friends, to toys, mm-hmm. to people, you know, was just so constant. And I now, you know, I'm not in a relationship with I have two dads, not in relationship with either of them really, you know. And so in dating now, because I'm divorced, it's like that feeling of, of the, the threat of loss, even if it isn't loss, loss. It's the threat. And so then you go into fight or flight, right? Exactly. Yeah. You go into fight or flight. Anyway, we need to go into this topic fully at some, at some point. Um, so before we close, I would love to just get from each of you one or two pieces of advice that you would give to somebody who is in that place now. So they've either just lost somebody um, or they don't know there's anything wrong or they've just hit that crying in the airport scene or the locked in the bathroom scene or whatever that might be, you know, what's your advice to them as a first step that they can take away from, from listening to you today? That's an excellent question. And, um, I'm slightly hesitant about giving it cause I, I just remember how I was and I'm not sure that I would have been open to advice, yeah. but it, but it would have, it would be this. Everything that's going, just because you think it, doesn't make it so. So everything that you're thinking might happen if you tell someone that you love, someone that you trust, what's going on with you in your head and your heart. Everything that you feel will happen will not happen. Absolutely the world will not end. So that's the first thing I'd say reach out and talk to someone and two, do not believe the lies that Donald tells you in your mind. I love that. They are not true. They're just outside of you. Give it a name. What about you, Obi? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't got two. First of my couple words, that know this, that the sun will rise again. Mm -hmm. However, I know a lot of people heard that many times, but I think it's absolutely true. It will rise again. The sun will always rise. Therefore, if you think it, then you just do one day at a time, mm-hmm. one step at a time. Yeah. It will okay. um, The second thing that I I'd, I'd, I'd thought about was knowing that you're, it's the, based on the Japanese pottery, Kuntasori, yeah. where a, a pot breaks and it gets sealed with gold to pick the pot. I've heard that. That's beautiful. It was one of our ethos for the Aurora. And what we're trying to say is that you are even more beautiful for having been broken. Because the pieces that make you put you back again, they're not going to be the same whole part. It's different now, but you were different for that, and that's a beautiful thing. I think that's the lesson, that's what I want to pass on to people. Whatever the thing you're going through, yeah, you're more beautiful as a result of that. That's so beautiful. That touches me deep in my heart, ladies. This has been so inspirational for me. I appreciate it so much. Um, let us know your, your website so that if people want to connect with you, they can find where you are. Yeah, you can find us on Facebook at Aurora Wellness UK or on our website, that's www.aurorawellness.uk. Perfect. We'll add all that into the show notes. Thank you so much. I look forward to meeting up soon. Oh yeah, thank, thank you, Pedro. Bye. 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 Bye.